Hey everybody, this is Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church Adelaide and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you can have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our preaching team. Jesus is brilliant, all right? If you haven't worked that out, he is, he's just an absolutely brilliant guy. He is really good. And uh, Paul, through his conversion, Jesus met him on the Damascus Road. He's not bad either, right? He's, he's pretty good, but Jesus is brilliant. Um, they both took life by the throat, you know. Um, if you're a quieter sort of person, you're hanging around with them, you'd be thinking, oh no, not again. I'll give you an example. They go up to Jerusalem. The disciples know that it's, it could be a rough time for Jesus up there. And then he goes towards the temple and he's upset, all right? And they'll be hanging back saying, oh no, not again. He's going to take them on again. And he clears the temple. You know what I mean? It's the same with Paul. Paul would come into a town, maybe uh, at Philippi in Acts chapter 15, when he comes into the town of Philippi. If you have a look there, there's a slave girl with her, and we'll mention this again in a second, who's got a spirit of prophecy. And she follows Paul saying that he is a, he's sort of someone from the Most High God, and she screams and yells. And in the end, and they let her go, right? For a few days, they let her go. And then in the end, he turns to her, and the others might have been thinking, Oh, no, not again, because it sort of gets them in the trouble, gets them in jail and all the rest of that. So these guys are the sort of guys that actually go at life quite directly, all right? But yet, at the same time, they're full of joy, because that is the main theme uh, of the letter that that Paul writes to the Philippian church. Now, Paul's in Rome. Now, Rome's about 800 miles um, uh, northwest, I suppose, of where they were in Philippi. It's a fair way away, all right? And the church in Rome had been, from where they were in Philadelphia, yeah, the church in Rome had been set up in the, the church there had been set up in the big smoke in a different way to a lot of the other churches. There's no one that we know who actually was an evangelist or somebody like that. Peter or Paul, one of the others, um, Philip, who went there and evangelized in Rome. People just drifted into Rome. The Jews just drifted into Rome. There were 13 temples in, in Rome because there were so many Jews there that had drifted in not only from the area around Palestine but from down in Egypt and Alexandria and everyone else and they just drift into Rome. So they set up their own synagogues. Some of them would have had, uh, their primary language would have been different. So when Paul gets to Rome, they don't know him very well. Some of them may have known him. A lot of them wouldn't have known him before. He hadn't set the church up. And when he gets there, being one of these guys that you say, Oh no, here we go again. Some of them living in Rome would have been quite comfortable living in their church with their faith in Christ without having Paul there, all right? But when he gets there, of course, he starts doing what Paul does. So some of them just didn't like him all that much. Is that fair enough? They felt uncomfortable with him. He was from a different background of them. Uh, He came in in a very strong way as well, but he's in jail. And that's why later on in the, in the letters, Paul says in the first letter, the first chapter of Philippians, Paul says some of them actually preaching out of rivalry. It wasn't that they weren't Christians. They were the comfortable sort of Christians that just wished he'd go away. Is that fair enough? And in a way, they may have been figuring that if they could make enough converts, they would be big enough and he would go away. All right? Is that fair enough? So it's, it's sort of a, a funny situation in the church in Rome. When Paul was in Philippi, it was quite different. It was a lot more specific and it was a lot more uh, intimate and a lot more enjoyable for him and for the people there, probably. 
Philippi was made up of the originals, then Philip of Macedon. Who's heard of Philip of Macedon? Alexander the Great's father came through and creamed the place about 400 BC, all right, and set it up as uh, Philippi after his name Philip. That's fair enough, isn't it? He just thought, well, I'll build my name up a bit here and we'll call it Philippi. And then 200 years later, the Romans came through and they turned it into a Roman city. They spoke Latin in Philippi, all right? That was their primary language, which would be different to Aramaic in other areas and Greek right across a lot of the the known world at the time. So you have the originals, you have the Romans, uh, sorry, you have the Greeks, you have the Romans, uh, and then um, who else do you have there? I can't remember now. That'll do. Three, three different sorts. Oh, plus the everyday type folk as well. All right? So they made up the church. And, and when Paul went there, um, the people who actually became Christians were not out of the synagogue because there wasn't one there because the Jews probably didn't feel comfortable under that sort of circumstances. They were people from both Greece with a Roman background, probably a Greek background and a pagan background as well. Uh, a great mix of people that Paul really loved, okay? Now, I want to talk a bit more about joy because joy is the, the central theme to the book, of Philipp, uh, the book of Philippians that Paul writes. And here's something which might be heresy, so you better not go to sleep while I'm preaching heresy, all right, because otherwise we'll all be in trouble. But I think there's a difference. So here's my theme on this theory on this little point here. I think there's a difference between like and love. There's a difference between like and love. And a, 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 an example of that is that Jesus loved everybody, right? But there were those that he actually did really like. You think of Peter, James, and John. He's always calling them aside. You know, uh, they they were the ones that he seemed to be the closest to. All right. He loved all of his disciples, but he particularly seemed to like those three. He liked other people. He liked Mary. Uh, he liked, I believe as well, you'd say he'd like the, um, and other women as well. He very much liked the centurion who came to him and asked him whether he would heal somebody in his family. And Jesus says, or well, I'll come with you. And the guy says, oh, don't worry about it. I know authority, mate. You know, I'm a Roman centurion. If I tell someone to go here, they go there. If you tell that healing to happen here, Standing here now, it'll be done. And Jesus was amazed at this guy. And he said, I haven't found faith anywhere in Israel like this Roman centurion. I think Jesus liked the guy. You see that there is a difference, maybe, you can tell me if I'm a heretic, uh, between like and love. Now, Paul liked, Paul loved all the churches, but he liked the believers in Philippi. They started their their relationships with each other in a really spiffy way. If you read Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul's trying to go to Bithynia and the Holy Spirit stops him. Now, how does the Holy Spirit stop you? Uh, In our modern day, do you actually go to cross a railway line? You shouldn't go so a freight train comes through and you you say that's the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit actually stop you? Anyway, the Holy Spirit did stop him. And then he has this dream of a man from Macedonia who's calling out, Uh, come over and help us. So he knows that he's got to go to Macedonia and he goes to Philippi and then things start to happen from there. All right. Because of the way in which they started, they liked him a lot too to the point where they gave him a lot of support regularly uh, after he'd been in, in in their town. 
Now, there's a lot of joy that comes out when we are with other followers who fit this sort of bill of, of being supportive. This situation brings on the coming of joy from the other side of space and time. Now, I think joy, the sort of joy that we're talking about today, comes from the other side of space and time. You know what I mean by the time of sp- other side of space and time? It's something we can't produce, but it actually comes to us from beyond, from where the creator of the universe uh, is by himself or is. I'll just leave it as is, all right? Now, because they loved each other, they find out that Paul's in jail in Rome, uh, probably he's in Rome, we're not absolutely certain, but almost certainly was, all right? And they, they send a leader called Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus, I don't think that's Australian, is it? Not white Australian. Uh, I don't think it's Latin, I'd say it's Greek. So he's probably a Greek guy, okay? He's a leader in the church in Philippi. Uh, and they send him off with some gifts to give to Paul in Rome because when you were in jail back there, you didn't get any feed. So if people didn't feed you, guess what? When you're in jail, you didn't have anything to eat which meant that eventually you didn't have to be executed either. And while Epaphroditus is there, he starts actually evangelising in Rome and working with Paul. And then the church back in Philippi that was under a fair amount of pressure, they get worried, one, he hasn't come back yet, all right? And two, then they hear that he's really sick. And so in the end, Paul sends him back, one, so that they'd be actually comfortable with him while he's back in, they'd be comfortable by him coming home. And secondly, so he could bring this letter to them uh, from himself in prison in Rome. Now, you can ask yourself a question, how did he get to write a letter when he's in prison? Well, he was under house arrest, we know that in Acts of the Apostles, for two years. So he had a little bit of freedom. He wouldn't have had too much money, so I would imagine he would have had to scrounge somehow or other to get the parchment to write the letter, all right? But he writes it and he sends it back and it's a letter of joy to these people who he really likes. It's interesting that Nero, who was emperor at the time and eventually was responsible for his execution, Nero wrote a whole lot of stuff. He liked writing. But nobody today has got any of Nero's writings whatsoever. Paul, who had a scrounge for some parchment in a jail in Rome and wrote to this little church that he really liked and who liked him, was generous to him, his letter is now so exciting that, you know, it's full of joy and we can get full of joy through that as well. As someone says these days that we call our dogs Nero and our sons Paul. Now, this church in Philippi was the actual first European church. Uh, it was the first one. So I'm going to go into my three points. My first point now, which you can respond to me by coming to the front about the whole thing of how you feel about death, is that Jesus and his joy comes to us in death. All right, That's my first point. And reading from Philippians chapter 1, that's the chapter that Michael and Jen gave me to use today, 1, 18 to 21, just reading part of it. Paul says to them, I will continue to rejoice and will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. Now, if you were listening up last week, Nick used that passage as well. Now, you listened very well last week. We all did. It's nothing like listening to somebody who's in a critical situation. Now, if you want to know anything about this point about Jesus' joy in our lives and in our death, we'll then go back and get the podcast uh, from... Who's got the podcast? From the internet. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. All right. So you can go back and listen to that. 
Now, like Paul, when we face really rough times, we need our friends that we both love and the ones that we like as well. Now, I'd say to you today, Nick, our friend Nick from last week, really needs the friends that he has joy in his relationships and he likes today because it makes joy a lot easier to come when you're with people like that. So that's Jesus' joy in life and in death. My second point is Jesus' joy in you, us sitting here today. Of the 326 occurrences of the word joy in the New Testament, Paul writes about 40%. And so we call Paul the theologian of joy mainly because of the letter that he wrote to the Philippian church. Someone calls it this Paul's great singing letter because while he was in Philippi, he was in jail and he sang while he was in jail at midnight in company with Silas as well. Now I'm going to try and define joy and again I might go into heresy here so just listen up again all right and it's a guy called John Piper who's a heresy a heretic if you want to know I can just avoid that title on this one all right and he says when I when I say I want to define joy for you I am asking whose joy are we looking at talking about Let's think, about, let's think of how Paul uses it in his letters and particularly in the book of, of Philippians. Now here's his, his definition of joy from the book of Philippians, all right? Christian joy is a good feeling. Now you know sometimes preachers preach about don't go for feelings and go for facts. Well, there's a contradiction for starters. Christian joy is a good, is a good feeling. It's not a persuasion or a decision. It's a feeling or an emotion. One of the marks of the difference between an idea and an emotion or a feeling is that you, you, you don't have immediate control over your feelings or your emotions. And that's true, isn't it? You don't have your feeling, uh, your control over your immediate emotions or feelings. And I'll give you an example of that, that that Johnny Piper gives as well. Say if you're camping somewhere, all right, and you wake up and there's a brown snake in your tent. You don't say to yourself, now, self... Let me think about this. There's a snake. Snakes are dangerous. Conclusion, I should feel fear. So I'll decide to be very afraid. Emotions don't work like that. Thinking works like that, but not our feelings. The Bible is full of commands that we do things that are immediately outside our control, like having Jesus' joy when we're locked up in some sort of jail. So that's his understanding of joy. I don't think you can get away from the fact that joy in the Lord is actually a feeling. And there's certainly a big difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is determined by our circumstances and because uh, we haven't got much control over our circumstances, it's a bit slippery like soap in a shower. The search for happiness is one of the chief sources of unhappiness in people's lives. And C.S. Lewis, who wrote a great book called Surprised by Joy about his conversion, says, Joy is never in our power and pleasure often is. Joy is never in our power and pleasure often is. Joy is the deep down sense of well-being in the heart of a person who knows all is well between himself and Jesus or herself in Jesus. We see this when the disciples return with great joy after Jesus' ascension. He'd taken them out on a hill He'd said goodbye to them. He told them to wait till they go back to Jerusalem, wait until the Holy Spirit fell on them. And it says about them on their way home over, after seeing Jesus' ascension. And they returned to, to Jerusalem with great joy. 
A 5th century writer, a guy called Bothesis, a Roman senator and philosopher, he claimed that God is happiness itself. But by the model of the 19th century, the formula was reversed to read, happiness is God. And I think that probably still goes today, that in a sense you could say, materialism relocated God from God to the shopping mall. Materialism relocated God to the shopping mall. In the New Testament, there's joy associated with Jesus from his conception, uh, when the angels come and sing, uh, to his ascension and afterwards as well. Jesus also found a lot of joy in life. He had joy at a wedding. He, 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 he actually had great joy at other times as well. Um, in Luke chapter 15, we see Jesus talking about the joy of God the Father over somebody who comes back to his love again in those three parables of, can anyone tell me what they were? The good shepherd, was it? Goes out looking after the last sheep. The lady with the lost corn and the lost son. You know that passage? In each of those things, there's a lot of joy that God has in seeing us return to himself. Joy is the promise of Jesus that the best is yet to come for us. Jesus' joy in action can be seen, uh, for instance, after the church had already started in Acts chapter 5, uh, where we read these words, So they went on their way uh, from the presence of the council where they'd been told off, rejoicing that they'd been considered worthy to suffer for the shame of, for, of his name. Now, the, the great thing about joy is, and, and Jesus is the fact that the Creator is that, was actually present in the Roman Empire. And that was the difference to any other time in the whole of history, anywhere in nature, than meeting this person. And we meet this person, and out of that person of meeting God that was in the Roman Empire, we find joy ourselves. The Bible talks about life being very good. If you read Genesis chapter 1 to 3, and you, we all should read that until it just starts coming out of our brains like nothing else. We should have sort of colour pictures like dyslexic colour pictures like Jenny and I get uh, time to time being dyslexic uh, about what happens in those first three chapters. Especially as well as that in terms of something like joy and death and sorrow, uh, the third chapter where we see that uh, the lady and the man, Adam and Eve, turned away from God. Because then we understand why in life we, we find that, that joy and sorrow, joy, uh, joy and, and the lack of peace lie so close together because the world, in our world, everything is so mixed up now. You, know? you can be looking at a koala out in the tree out our window and think that is brilliant. One second... And then something can go out on the street the next second and you go from joy to sort of anxiety just so quickly. And we should, in a sense, accept that that's the way life's going to be. So that's joy in us. Thirdly, Jesus and his joy, in, uh, that's in us individually. Now, Jesus and his joy in us together. And I'm reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2 here, where it says about the Philippian church, he's writing to the Corinthian church, and they were a pretty pretty uh, interesting bunch of people, a lot bigger, a lot stronger, a lot more charismatic in terms of the gifts, but they're also a lot more arrogant, some of them as well. And so Paul's trying to sort them out by using the Philippian church as an example. He says, In the midst of, of, of our very severe our very severe trial, there, sorry, I'll start that again. In the midst of a very severe trial, the, the Philippian church, they, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
In other words, the church in Philippi, thinking about, even in their trial, thinking about Paul, what he meant to them, what Jesus, what Jesus meant to them, they had this great sense of joy. What can we do about it? We'll send money to Paul and agree to Paul. They had great joy in, in, in each other's companies. And Paul has this confidence that King Jesus is also, is, who started our faith, is also the finisher of our faith as well. Paul always prayed for the Philippian church with a lot of joy. This was a way Paul felt he could really repay the Philippians for all that they'd done for him. You might say that whenever Paul prayed for the Philippian church, he became happy. When I pray for you guys, I become happy. I just think that you're a great group of people and there's great joy in being here and among you. Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, called, called the church there his joy and his crown. I can understand why he said that to that group of people. Now, I want to talk for you a second. I don't think this is now heresy, so you can go to sleep if you like. Um, it, uh, it's about being slaves of Jesus, all right? To know that we're a slave of Jesus really is a great way of actually being set free, I reckon. Because Paul in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, he starts off straight away by saying, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. And normally in the letters he talk, calls himself an apostle, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, right? Whereas here he just says, I'm a slave. And I think what he's saying is that his closeness to the Philippian church is so strong that he just wants to be identified with them as one of them. So he just loves that idea of being there and being with them. And we're all slaves together, he's saying. Thinking of, of ourselves as, uh, as Jesus' as slaves means that we don't think too highly of ourselves. I, I think that's one thing. I think you can't sort of say, I'm a slave and think too highly of yourself in one sense. But at the same time, it's actually a status symbol. You know, I'm a slave of the only guy who's ever been raised to life and now is in charge of the universe. I mean, that's a status symbol, isn't it? So you get both. If you're a slave of Christ, you get humility, but you also get great joy and hope at the same time. And it means that if we all see that together, then it's like a, a good sports team, as Paul says, we battle together with a single mind for the faith of the gospel, not caring two straws, for our own enemies that's in chapter 1 and verse 27 so we have camaraderie when we're slaves together you know honor among slaves that sort of slaves that's honor among thieves that sort of thing paul knows that he is a slave of the, of the one who gives life in all its fullness on both sides of the graves and so he can say as nick Hawke said last sunday for to me to live is christ and to die is gain. I think our faith does work a little bit better under pressure. Mine does. I need pressure to take away the laziness. Uh, mothers, and probably your mother said to you, you know, don't eat that lolly before lunch, it'll ruin your appetite. Has anyone been told that by their mothers? You know, we want a, a quick sugar buzz. And it masks the fact that our body actually needs stuff that we don't have in our bodies already it's a bit like a um, bit of pressure it, it means that we you know it takes away the mask of our general life and makes us recognize that we need christ and what christ stands for as well 
When it comes to joy, it's, it's one of the things that, that joy does to us. It actually is really strong in terms of how people see the church. I don't think any of us could sit here last Sunday and look at the face of Nick as he spoke and say there was no joy in his life. And then you think, wow, he's in that situation, but yet he has this sort of joy as well. So understanding, experiencing and letting joy come to us is, in a sense, is really important to the life of ourselves, both in terms of how we see death, in terms of how we experience joy personally with Christ as well, as Paul talks about, and also corporately as well. And I love the fact, I absolutely love the fact that um, Jesus gets a lot of joy out of saying this particular statement. Now, I don't feel like I'm very much at all, really, and so I, I love this statement, all right? And it's in Luke chapter 10 and verse 21. It says, At that time, after some disciples had had some ministry, it says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. We sit here this afternoon, and if we feel like little children, well, then there's opportunity to have ministry like Jesus was praising God for as well. And if we feel like we're people that just sort of walk through the grass on the lawn rather than swing through the trees, guess what? It's what it's the, we're the sort of people that God is going to use because that's what God the Father loves to do here on earth. Use the little people to actually bring joy to others because of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing in their lives. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. For more information and resources, please check out our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review on your podcast provider. Have an amazing day. God bless.